Welcome to the Systematic Understanding of Everything, an Exalted podcast. This show is a collaborative effort between members of the Story Told, Bonus Experience, and Mage the Podcast. We're going to break down the basics of Exalted from its rules to its setting. I'm Monica, 3rd edition supplement developer and lead mechanical developer for Exalted Essence. I'm Chaz, Exalted writer and fan. And I'm Neil, uh, Exalted 3rd edition supplement developer and lead setting developer for Exalted Essence. But... You may know me better by my alchemical alter ego of thousand-faceted Nalumbo, but with pants. I'm Terry, and I'm excited to discuss the Shenti of Stasis from the World of Darkness. I will not be taking questions at this time. And this is episode 32, God Machine Weaving Engine. Today we're talking about Autochthonia and its denizens. I, I think we is the wrong part Today of Today spe- <laughs> Neil is talking about Autochthonia and its denizens. Yes. Today, and we'll react. <laughs> today three hosts react to. So where did Autochthonia come from? In, in the long run, it comes from the wild because that's where all the primordials uh, came from. The titans who made creation and strode across the wild like titans so uh yeah i'm going to be using the phrase primordials which we are doing a lot but it is kind of a deprecated term in third edition but as i've had many arguments with my fellow exalted developers about you can't really talk about autothonia and autothonia's history without talking about the primordials and talking about their relationships so autothon is known as the king of all craftsmen he was uh the sort of forge archetype god of the primordials. If you think of them as a pantheon, he was definitely the, the Hephaestus. And he was actually mocked for his sickliness by the other primordials, etc., etc. So again, much like Hephaestus. Autothon is also a trickster god, which is something that was really present in first edition a lot and wasn't really so present in second edition. But the gods decided to rebel against the titans who made them. And Autothon came to them and said hey, this thing you're talking about, Exaltation, well, I know how to do it. And in first and second edition, he, he made the Exaltations. In third edition, he taught the Incarna the trick of it. There's, there's a process to do that if you are sufficiently numinous and powerful, you, you can do it. You, you can just do it. But there's a trick to it, so you have to know. So Autothon taught the one weird trick to Exalt? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in first and second edition, he actually made the Exaltations. He created the alchemical Exalted in first and second edition as, as prototypes. He had them as plans. And he was like, look, this can, this can actually work. And then one of the lore changes in third edition is that he actually went ahead and exalted them. He exalted a, a test batch, if you will, like any good baker. And then showed those to the gods, rather, and was like, hey, look, you can have champions, too. So why did then Autochthon peace out and become Autochthonia? He was involved in the rebellion against brethren, and first edition was kind of vague on his motives. Second edition was really much more like, he did it for revenge, for being mocked, and a put-upon nerd. Second yeah. edition's strong suit was not subtlety. Yeah. Just if you can imagine, imagine Malpheus wearing a varsity jacket and just going, nerd! Like that was second edition. And this again leads us into some lore differences between first and second edition and changes that were in third edition. In first edition, 
Autothon stayed after the, the Exalted won, and he stayed after the gods took the creation ruling mandate and gave it to the Exalted and then retreated to Yushan to play the games of Divinity. But he didn't really hang out with the gods all that much playing games of Divinity. He preferred to just tinker with his stuff. In 1st and 2nd edition, how the lore goes, according to Dreams of the First Age, is that pretty early on, all of the cool artifacts that the mountain folk, who were Autothon's first kind of creations and first people, they made a bunch of really cool artifacts for the Exalted to fight in the war. The artifacts just started, like, stopped working and started shutting down. And when the Exalted went to the mountain folk and were like, hey, what gives? They were like, yeah, we built that for the war, but now we need the the essence powering them for other things. So, tough shit. And the Exalted were like, how dare these these dwarves tell us what to do? They basically gave Autothon an ultimatum. Either remove the mountain folk as a threat to the Exalted host forever, or the Exalted would just kill them all. And Autothon was like, okay... So he put what's called the Great Geas on the Mountain Folk, cursed the Mountain Folk essentially, and broke their enlightenment, their ability to fully channel essence and grow beyond their potential. And uh, then he just kind of pieced out. But he decided to peace out because he was pretty terrified that the he was he was ashamed that he did that to the Mountain Folk, and he was terrified the Exalted would turn on him next. And already some exalts were like, yeah, maybe, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, I bet there's all kinds of cool crap inside that that giant machine god. Autothon gave three great gifts to humanity. It's a doctrine, faith, and tools. So Autothon was involved in the creation of humanity. He was involved in creation of the beings that became humanity, the proto-humans. He always really liked that humans took up some of his favorite concepts and used them. And he, as the lone primordial left in creation, other than Gaia, who was up in Yushan, he amassed a pretty large following of people who were really keen on crafting cool stuff, which he was also keen on. Autothon knew he needed to flee creation, so he chose eight great heroes from among the peoples that followed him, and he tasked them with constructing a mighty artifact called the Ewer of Souls. Um, E-W-E-R, so like a like a, a pouring jug. They went to the Well of Souls, which is the source of every soul in creation and something that spins new souls out of the wild. The exact mechanics of that are not relevant, but suffice to say they succeeded and they, they filled up the Ewer with a shit ton of souls. After that, Autothon ran around gobbled up a bunch of his followers and the surrounding countryside and probably the surrounding peoples too, and then sealed himself elsewhere behind a seal of eight great divinities to represent his eight subsouls. And that's how you got Autothonia. So you just mentioned the seal of eight divinities represents each one of his lower souls. He has soul parts. Who are they and what do they do? It's a really good question, Monica. <laughs> Compelling and rich. So Autothon's subsouls don't quite fit the same model as a lot of other primordial souls, whether this is just uh, a choice on the part of early writers or some other thing. Autothon has been known to tinker with his soul structure and actually like modify and reforge his souls to do different things so that he can do different things. So the eight great 
divinities and the great subsoles of Autothon are Runel, the divine minister of order, Kek Tashunga, the divine minister of smelting, Debak Moon, divine minister of war, Noi, divine minister of curiosity, Mog, divine minister of authority, Kadmek, divine minister of design, and Domadad, the divine minister of reuse, Ku, the divine minister of the reaches and far reaches. Is he the only one that can dick with his soul parts or can everyone else do that and they just don't do it? Everyone else can do it. When we talked about the, the Yozis, we talked about when the demons are destroyed, they have to remake a new soul and it changes them. Mm-hmm. So in theory, any of them could, but most of them are not comfortable with change, especially mm-hmm. after having had some of their souls murdered and forcibly changed to transform them from the primordials to the Yozis. So if I were putting my theory hat on, I would say that Arakthan's role as a creator and trickster makes him more inclined to be a tinkerer with his with his own souls as well. Yeah, it's implied in first edition and outright stated in second edition that this constant tinkering is actually part of what has exacerbated his illness. He keeps picking at it. Primordials have nine nine third circle souls, I believe. In second edition, the Autothon's core soul, his fetish soul, was called the core, and it was known as the mind of the great maker. In second edition, he actually effectively lumbotomized his third circle soul so that he could inhabit it pretty constantly. And so he keeps like, I can act directly now, and I can do all kinds of stuff that I couldn't do as a giant planet made of machinery, which I never really got because he could also shrink down to a normal form. I don't know. It. I didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Autothania over time after leaving creation? So after leaving creation, Autothon waited until the eight great heroes in within him died. Uh, they helped to set up societies. They helped to survive Autothon's internal body, Autothonia, is a world of industrial horror. There are vast molten rivers of magical materials. There's huge slamming pistons the size of cities. Uh, There's lightning arcs the size of continents. It is a world maybe almost as big as creation, certainly very large, large enough to be seen on our our globe. It's like the inside of an engine block. It's pretty inhospitable. Like there's there's breathable air, and there are nutrient tubes that are in there that you can you can tap and sort of drink a slurry from, and that forms most of the diet of the Autothonians. But there's not much in there really to subsist on. There's no animal culture except the ones that were imported from creation. We'll get to those a little bit later. After the people kind of stabilized, and after the eight great heroes died. Autothon took their souls because within his body, it's a closed system, essentially. He even has his own loom of fate called the design of Autothon. He took the souls of these great heroes and he created alchemical exalts out of them. The alchemicals protected their peoples from the horrors of Autothonia. And eventually, as the alchemicals aged and grew in essence, they took root within Autothon itself to commune with them and to amplify his own essence, and they created the first Autothonian cities. Each of those eight cities grew into a nation around it of smaller, younger cities. What's the large-scale geography of Autochthonia look like? Is there a map of it kicking around? 
There is a map of it in the first edition Alchemicals book. However, it's very largely conceptual, and it, it shows the six elemental poles within Autothon. He built the elemental poles, too. He built a lot of stuff in the first two editions, like a lot of stuff. So he just built himself his own cooler elemental poles, like smoke and lightning. Autothon is, has spaces in him that are big enough to fit like the size of England, um, just vast open spaces. There are huge planes within Autothon. Some massive parts of him are vertical and like vertical shafts. Like the, the nation of Sova is actually built over scaffolding that goes along down um, a, a truly humongous vertical shaft. We're talking, you know, tens of kilometers wide. Are there any other cool-ass cosmic doodads like the calendar of Satesh and Autochthonia? You mentioned there is their own Loom of Fate. Is there anything else like massive and cool like that that only I am interested in? There's a metaphysical representation of Autothon's sickness that is distinct from but absolutely related to uh, the concept of the capital V void in Exalted. And Autothon is slowly dying. And there is a, uh, a great being within Autothon called the Viator of Null Space that may or may not be a, a tenth, third circle soul. Uh, the Viator doesn't really have a, a strong motivation to do anything but destroy things. He has some kind of motivation. It's just, it's just sort of contradictory in the text. He wants to sort of protect Autothon, but he also kind of wants to destroy Autothon. The Void gradually transforms a lot of the technological aesthetic of uh, Autothonia into a biomechanical necrotic aesthetic like like gears will grow tumors and wires will develop like pustules of rotting flesh and that sort of thing and it can infect people as well and it gradually turns them into a, a horrid biomechanical amalgam like half human half H.R. Geiger alien. So the environment of Autochthonia is material and the people are biological organic or something like that? Or is there like a biomechanical race there? Like are, are dwarves steampunk or anything like that? No. Autothon as a, as a full bore primordial has three circles of souls, just like all the rest of them. So all of his third circle souls have second circle souls and all of those second circle souls make various races of little robot demons running around. In second edition, instead of demons, unbound primordials had, the souls were called devas, but I don't think we're gonna do that in third edition, especially since it, it is the actual name of a, of, of a bunch of different gods, and it kind of confuses the issue a little bit. I just prefer demons with an AE. I like that. Speaking of the, the demons, what kinds of creatures live in, in Autochthonia? And most importantly, are there any notable birds or mustelids? <laughs> there are the famous flying rats Pigeons. of Clazat. Besides the, 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 the vast and manifold uh, first circle servitors, which I, I think we're really going to flesh out a lot in third edition because they never really have been. Demons, there's a lot of first circle demon examples. There's not a lot of first circle robot demon examples. There's a couple of animals that were imported from creation when Autothon gobbled up the countryside. But over the centuries, only two of them have actually lasted. One is cockroaches and the other is rats. So cockroaches don't really change and they haven't really changed. A lot of times Autothonians will breed them and collect them you know, through various means and uh, render them down into 
nutrient paste or you know a slurry i don't know if you ever saw snowpiercer but something like that rats are a little different the autothonians were also very talented at bioengineering so part of what the design of autothon does actually you, you talked about cool stuff and i talked about how it was a loom 2.0 the design of autothon allows for mortals to have patterns of essence transmitted onto them which allows them to do great feats of engineering and great feats of construction that should be beyond mortals, but aren't if they're in the design of Autothon, if they belong to the design. And a lot of times they're possessed with a sort of religious ecstasy in doing that. And it's it's goes into the Autothonian religion, which is really important. Their prayers and their essence keep, keep Autothon alive, or they were at least. And rats were quickly broken down into a number of purpose-built subspecies. Estagia, one of the more militant nations of Autothonia, had famous rat cavaliers several thousand years ago. Rideable rats have unfortunately died out. In most of Autothonia, they're used as food, they're used as pets, they are used sometimes as, as small beasts of burden. Sova has the famed honey rats that they use to entomb their dead. So it's, so it's specifically bred, so this rat will run over and it will consume nutrient slurry and it stir stores the nutrients and the fat as a sort of sugary sugary paste inside its abdomen and it bloats up like a tick until it's real big and so you know when, once they're all bloated up they just kind of wriggle around like ah. an autothonian harvester will come by with a and pick up the rat and stick it with a big old needle and extract the honey so the rat can go free it's it's you know symbiotic and then I had this whole thing about how they entomb their dead in honey. They, they pack their dead with inside honey. And then over the course of like a century, the honey slowly dissolves the body. And then after a century, all their descendants get together and eat the honey mummy. That's a real thing. That's a thing in our world. So we kind of touched on Autochthonia having gods slash demons. So we know that the Ewer of Souls slurped up a whole bunch of human souls, dumped them in there. So are there ghosts and are there elementals? So yes and no. There are elementals because Autothon has these, these giant elemental poles. There are no great elemental dragons. Those were specifically a creation of Gaia. In first edition, they were a creation and known as her children. In second edition, they were specifically some of her third circle souls. And in third edition, they're back to being not gods, not elementals not behemoth, something else, uh, but on a pier with the with the Most High and still children of Gaia. Arathon didn't make any elemental dragons to go along with it, but there are elementals within him who still conform to those aspects in there. Are there ghosts? So yes and no. What Arathon ended up doing and how he ended up subsisting himself is that he ended up taking... So when, when, when someone in an Exalted dies, their upper and lower souls break apart. Right? And the upper soul contains all the intellect, all the memories and everything. And the lower soul contains all the vitality and the force and the collected essence of someone through their entire lifetime. And if they were powerful or exalted or even just lived a really rich life, that lower soul gets stronger. And so Autothon, part of what the design did is to push people into having various careers and various successes in their life. And then Autothon eats the lower souls to keep himself alive while he's sleeping. And this is supplemented by essence of prayer and everything. And 
all Autothonian just kind of thinks that their prayer is what keeps Autothon alive. But one of the great crises is that Autothon is actually running out of souls at this point. He has no more lower souls to join together from the Ewer. And the higher souls, you may be asking, well, what happens to them? Well, every Autothonian is implanted with a soul gem at birth. It is a little gem on a soul steel spike that they just jam right into that soft infant skull. Upon death, Autothonian orthodoxy actually says that the soul is pulled into the soul gem and then they take it to these great gears and then the soul is put into them and it reincarnates into someone else. That's not quite how it actually works. Reincarnation happens through Autothon, but occasionally the souls get shunted off into this weird little afterlife that's just basically a big dark room with a bunch of very confused ghosts in it who've been there for centuries. But for the most part, when souls reincarnate, you can actually track who that person was in a previous life because the soul gem, instead of keeping the soul and then releasing it, actually just leaves like a little like identifying mark on it. And you can read those if you're a Luminar, which is one of the, the types of uh, the sodalities, which is one of the casts of Autothonia. And that determines what you're going to be in your next life, basically. You're like, oh, this guy's a great religious leader. Let's make him a, a religious leader. Part of the souls are being consumed. The other one is getting recycled. So it sounds like there's a finite number of total souls to go around. So your time in that limbo space is increasing over time. So Autothon's dying. Uh, babies are being born stillborn because there's no lower soul to actually like grant them life. The nutrient tubes are running dry. Magical materials are starting to run scarce. And things are pretty dire. And eventually all of the eight nations have come around to the uh, fact that Autothon is dying. He started to slumber when he went into exile. Now it has gone from a slumber into a coma, and they are convinced that he cannot be awakened to save himself. So most of the eight nations and the alchemicals within have kind of determined it upon themselves that they need to save Autothon. That seems like a great place for player characters. <laughs> oh, yeah. So when you say save Autothon, is that a thing that is built into the setting where you either have the choice of go raid creation or eke out a living in this resource-starved hellscape? Yeah, those are kind of the only two options that were presented in 1st and 2nd edition. Whether 3rd will have a different idea, I don't really know. I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Autothonia is, is interesting because a lot of people have been reticent to use Autothonia and reticent to use the alchemicals because... To actually bring them in line with mainline creation means there must be some sort of cataclysmic event. The seal of eight divinities can't be broken from the creation side. And the solars tried. Boy, did they try. As good as they are, the king of all craftsmen is that for a reason. So eventually, he just they just gave up. Like, maybe they could have done it if they kept at it long enough, but he, out, he outlasted them. But from the Autothonian side, it's real easy to breach. Just like... Walk out the door, basically. The classic Time of Tumult scenario, Crusaders and the Machine God, has an Autothonian city, like a, a city alchemical itself, prepping itself to, to breach into creation. And so in the middle of this swamp, it's just kind of sitting there for a minute, and then this giant head erupts from the ground, full, you know, made of magical materials, and then its mouth opens, and a bunch of little bug guys come swarming out and start exploring. Is that the Locust Crusade? I'm sorry, Crusaders of the Machine God is the Exalted, the Autothonians, which is the first edition Alchemicals book, has three different scenarios in the back. And the Locust Crusade is probably, in Time of Tumult, is probably better than all three of those. 
Time of Tumult came out like 45 minutes after Exalted came out, didn't it? You had made mention to the Exalted, they're not dwarfs, don't sue us. Are they still around in Autochthonia? And are there any other other folk, like God-blooded, are there like the machine-blooded running around or anything like that? The mountain folk are not actually in Autothonia. The mountain oh, okay. folk live under the Imperial Mountain. So the mountain folk were originally fair folk who were caught when creation was formed and they were sort of like calcified by the elemental pole of Earth. And then Autothon was like, ooh, what's the, what are these? Like these little fair folk essences, but now they're calcified and all orderly and nice. Like, and, then, and they're in, in these little jade eggs. Let me hatch some of these guys. And that's how the mountain folk came about. Did you say they were the ones that Autothon had a fondness for, or did I mix up two things in my head? I'm sorry. He he did, but okay. he also had a fondness for humans. Oh, as well. okay. Pick a lane. So hu- humans in second in second edition, humans were made because Autothon made a being that was sort of like the Mountain Folk, or was uh, a predecessor to them, I believe, called the Clay Man, which is was a really old one E reference. And the other primordials were like, "Cool, what's this thing?" And they like. Took him apart and didn't put him back together quite right again, but they figured out how to make humanity from that. They're like, yeah, let's just make a bunch of like little lesser versions of him. He's kind of like a a big melty, melty dude now, unfortunately. He was immortal. So humanity is sort of tangentially related to the mountain folk and to the clay man, at least in second edition. And Autothon had a fondness for all of them. Because he had a, he kinda had a hand in them. Okay. So are there any other sentient um, peoples? in Autothonia that are neither part of the soul hierarchy nor human, or I guess nor exalt? Uh, no, void, okay. void creatures, really, which are, you know, just infected stuff that's already in there. Autothonia is a closed system for okay. good or for ill. Because we've kind of touched on a whole bunch of things, like it's a terrible industrial horrorscape. There's nutrient slurry and molten magical materials and lightning and smoke and the void so we've we've touched on all of that so maybe instead let's ask the question how do you get from place to place without getting destroyed the eight nations of autothonia are clustered around autothon's pole of metal uh the elemental pole of metal the elemental pole of metal is not static it shifts and it rotates and it spins and it and it curves and all of these autothonian nations exist within distinct spaces, but they all sort of drift apart from one another and they drift closer. Within Autothon are devices known as tram lines that are basically like giant subway cars. Tram lines will occasionally line up with another nation. So you can ride from one nation to another. You can also brave the reaches, which are the parts of the pole of metal that are not covered by um, tram lines. But those are mostly inhabited by the outcasts of society or the lumpen proletariat or, you know, void creatures. It's, it's, it's not a, it's even more hospi- inhospitable than the rest of Autothonia. Are, are the tram lines a natural feature? Like, is that just part of Autochthonia or is that something that the nations have built? Mm, kind of a little bit of A, a little bit of B. Okay, it's, it's like uh, a river, but it just happens to be in the form of a train and they've redirected it or something like that. Or Yeah, yeah when you're a machine god... You tend to have all kinds of crazy crap in you, and uh, subway cars for arteries is is one of them. And what does it mean for the nations to drift? They literally are drifting on the pole of metal. It is it is it is like spinning and rotating and expanding and contracting, right? And okay. it does so at a random thing. It's it's like 
uh, plate tectonics, but in a circle. I was imagining them as like floating almost magnetically. Yeah, they could be. I don't know. Like I said, the only map we have of this thing is very conceptual. Okay. So if I were going to be thinking about Adoxon, I would imagine it is like a three-dimensional space inside a body that is shifting and moving. And so the nations are in maybe individual organs of Adokthan, but the position of those organs relative to each other shifts slightly within the whole three-dimensional space as the elemental pole of metal turns. And the nations uh, do connect with each other at great frequency, but part of the reason that, that no nation has conquered the others, and they've tried, and sometimes they've succeeded, but they've never succeeded permanently because the nations always drift away from one another. And it's a metaphor. It's yeah, it's difficult to, to actually maintain that kind of long distance relationship. Yeah, 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 that makes of, sense. Of colony to metropole. So, besides lightning, metal, and smoke, what are the other uh, elements of Autothon? The elemental poles of Autothon are oil, which are his bloodstream, and squid like custodians swim in schools, mixing the lubricants as they scout their lightless, inky realm. It's his lifeblood. It gets um, the vast pumps beneath the pole serve as his hearts. He has two posed poles called uh, lightning and steam. And those are resting on the pole of metal where mortals build their cities and towns around the, his organs and are constantly shifted around. Pole of lightning powers the great maker's biomechanical nervous system and steam. Nothing biological can live in the scalding pole of steam. Underwater lightning arcs keep the water at a constant boil to power other parts of Autothon. In the center of it all is the Pole of Crystal, where pattern spiders weave the essence and future of the design of Autothon in accordance with the dictates of the core, the godhead at the Pole of Crystal. Lastly, down below is the Pole of Smoke, which serves as Autothon's lungs. Their clouds of elemental smoke there are toxic and occasionally luminous and are filled with all kinds of void creatures. Whatever infection is consuming autothon it's real it's a it's a lung thing so you mentioned the eight nations uh, do they have similar political structures or are they each different kind of what makes a nation different how do they interact and and, and in a nation what do there's different cast to autothonian society autothon autothon society the place is so inhospitable and worship of autothon so ubiquitous and so necessary to keep everything running that there is a very strong religious orthodoxy in Autothonia. And a lot of the common people of Autothonia take terms both praying and also working inside factories in Autothon to make it more livable, whether it's like an air purification plant or whether it's a food nutrient tapper plant, that sort of thing. There's four casts of Autothonian society and a not-so-secret fifth one. So there's the populat, which are the vast majority of people who are fairly unremarkable. You know, they're, they're, they're the common folk. And then uh, you have the Ogletaries, who are the sort of executive branch. They're, they're a lot of the leaders. There are a lot of the, the ultimate secular authority. They draft and enforce laws, uh, and they're responsible for judicial matters and bureaucracy. You have the Theomachrachy, which is the religious priests and orthodoxy of Autothon. And then you have the sodalities, of which there are five, and they each perform a highly specialized role within Autothon. They're not just 
factory workers. They're the highly trained, skilled professionals doing a, a, a specific job. And those three, those three casts are arranged in a structure called the tripartite. In some form or another, it is very common to all Vodafonian society. Um, the secret, not so secret, fifth one is called the militat, and that's a feature of Estagia, which we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, the, the nations of Autothonia are actually, besides that commonality, radically different in a lot of ways. In Jerish, like, Jerish has a higher concentration of Theomachrites than the others. Yugash is really, the Ogateri really, you know, uh, rules more a lot there. And in Astagia, Astagia is the most militant of the nations, and their soldiers are often like the only professional army in Autothonia. So they are uh, loaned out to other nations when they need to go to war. They, they may, one or the other, may have Astagian militat, is what they're called, uh, militat soldiers in the ranks performing specialized roles, like mercenary companies, essentially. So they're like the Prussia of Audakthan? Yes, they, they absolutely are. They're the byproducts of the different mixes of these classes uh, and the arrangement of labor that can occur to get it to run. So you have a nation where this is to the four, where this is to a four. And, and I guess it's not like each one has access necessarily to different, they all came from the same place kind of. So you mm -hmm. don't necessarily have that differentiation that could occur because of uh, geography. And do these nations you had mentioned go to war? Is that something that happens regularly or because of this whole autochthon dying, does that, has that ramped up as nations are fighting for resources or is it in a time of peace or something like that? Is there uh, that sense of implied motion to the interaction of those nations? Nations have gone to war throughout Autothonia's history for a variety of reasons. For the first few thousand years, most of those were religious differences. When you have people separated by decades or even centuries from another nation, and they're like, yes, we will maintain the orthodoxy, they'll suddenly match up with their old friends of a century ago and realize that their orthodoxies are actually completely different. And each one is like, you're the heretic. No, you're the heretic. That really is the primary reason why a lot of them have done it. You know, some of them are very rare resources they went to war over. But yes, as resource, resources become more scarce and more precious within Autothonia, wars are becoming more frequently common and clashes between all of them. Which is partly why the eight nations are all separately looking for an outside context solution. Uh, but they all know about the, the Seal of the Eight Divinities, right? That is not secret. Like, is there a giant sign that says creation here? Most people in Autothonia are illiterate, but there is a small literate tradition um, that's descended from the language of Old Realm. And there is also a strong oral tradition in a lot of parts of Autothonia, uh, especially Sova, that um, talks about the sunlit land and talks about the, the land of bounty and creation. Uh, from which the Autothonians came. Uh, and so they they are aware of it, and elder alchemicals communing with Autothon, but also possessed of advanced powers of essence, are able to like perceive and figure out a way to get through the Seal of Eight Divinities. Okay. So in these nations and around this ever-spinning pole, what are a few of the notable places that uh, player characters might be from or that you might set a campaign? Well, you would probably be from one of the eight nations or one of the two rogue cities. So the, the nations are Klazat, which is Autothonia's largest state, Yugash, which is maybe the most reckless and desperate, Estasia, which, as I mentioned, is a mercenary state, 
Sova, which is staggered in the wake of a giant war with Yugosh that they badly lost. And then Narad, which is constantly under attack from outside forces and, and the forces of the Void. And then um, on the outskirts of the Pole of Metal, you have Kamak, Jerish, and Gulak, which are three separate kinds of ancient Audiothonian culture and orthodoxy that deal with their, their sort of exile from the rest of society in different ways. And the exile is not anything they did. It's just they happen to be on the outside of the Pole of Metal at this time. They are beset by cold paranoia and secrets. There's also two rogue city-states. As I mentioned, alchemicals can uh, themselves become a city. And while these cities populate the eight nations, uh, two alchemicals formed the city-states of Zesas and Loran, which are situated near two different poles. And they're isolated, but they have plentiful resources because they're tapping parts of Autothon that had never been explored before. And they're like, hey, maybe we can use this to cure the rest of them. You would absolutely be from one of the eight nations, and you would be from uh, a city that is itself a an exalt and has a personality to it. You can talk about how cities have personality, but these literally do. And they know you and, and they're watching you pretty constantly, but they're there, they're there to protect you. So don't worry. Got it. So menacing robot Santa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are there notable characters that we haven't talked about from Autochthonia that would likely play a role in a campaign set there or that are just cool people? There aren't a lot among the Autothonians themselves. For better or for worse, there haven't been a ton of notable ones. Player characters and the characters you're most likely to interact with in a creation game or even in an Autothonian game are the alchemicals. And so alchemical names are really cool and that they're actually, they're chosen when the alchemical exalts uh, and they just sort of know their name instinctively. And it describes a personality trait of theirs. The signature Ori Kalkum cast is known as Fair-Spoken Rishi. He's fair-spoken. He's, he's a diplomat at heart. Stern Whip of Industry is the Jade cast. He's known to be like a, a hard taskmaster among the populace, but he's also beloved by the people. He doesn't ask them to do anything other than what he does, and he'll do things like work quadruple shifts if, if a factory isn't meeting its quota. There's Lissom Avid Engineer, the uh, star metal cast, who is uh, very attractive. She cute. She wins my she cute seal of approval. My absolute favorite, though, is the Moonsilver uh, signature, Excessively Righteous Blossom, who really, really wants to be a general, and they can't say no to him because he's an alchemical, but he sucks at it. <laughs> he's ruled back. He just keeps getting his, his folks killed and he refuses to believe it's his fault because he is excessively righteous. This is one of the few areas where there are, besides, I guess, Malpheus, where there are no gods, that everything is a, literally an electromechanical system or something like that and out there being controlled. Um, how do you get to and from Autochthonia? Uh, you don't. Um, I don't know if you've been <laughs> listening to what I, what I mostly said. Following the, the Locust Crusade slash Crusaders of the Machine God, the, the Seal of Eight Divinities is open temporarily in one specific place, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. Yeah, but it could be any of the eight nations. And then, right. you, know what's, you know what's really weird? Okay, we're going we're gonna to get into, into <laughs> Neil, Neil arching an eyebrow at this. Sure. So in, so in 
the Locust Crusade in Time of Tumult, like mm-hmm. uh, the Petropolis of Ot, which is the name of the Autothonian city of Yugash that pops right. out into creation. He just uh-huh. pops out in the middle of a swamp, right? Right. And then in, like, second edition, they're like, and this swamp was where Gorol thrice damned or swore himself and murdered the rest of his circle. And it's the, the part of creation closest to Malthus. And it's, you know, places where demons roam and that. And I'm like, so the Autothonians popped out in the middle of a fucking hell swamp. <laughs> like, they, no wonder they want to go to war with the rest of creation. They're like, this place is awful. Let's let's kill whatever we can and get the fuck out of here. Terry made me rank the other realms in order of easiest to hardest to get made to. You, you <laughs> literally <laughs> proffered it. Uh, yeah, I volunteered. Yeah, okay. And by okay. made, I mean Terry said you should do that, and I said okay. <laughs> uh, coerced, twisted my arm. <laughs> exactly, the slave driver yeah. Terry. <laughs> and so we got on a small disagreement over whether Malpheus or Autochthonia was harder to get to. Uh, and if Autothonia, you arg- by by far. <laughs> and if you take the argument that you could you can theoretically go back through the one place in creation where the seal of eight divinities is open while it is open, is that slightly more likely than figuring out the uh, clipping error that gets you from creation into Malthus? Yeah, if you're like drinking milk on a Tuesday and you step on a crack in the sidewalk, you can fall into hell. Or inexplicably summon a demon, because that's exactly the thing that summons that particular demon. And they're like, at last I am free! Now I'm free to conquer Earth! And they take um, your milk? Yeah, they're going to take your milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Autothonia, you, you, like, like the Solars of the First Age knew about the Seal of Eight Divinities. They could perceive it, and they tried to break it, and they, they, their best efforts could not. You know, there's there's that that Solar's overall tone in Exalted, like the, the Exalted can do anything. Um, so maybe they could have broken it if they kept at it, but he outlasted their patience. I guess hypothetically, if because it's a it's a push door that you can only push from one side, it has no handle on the other. Uh, so like when an alchemical pushes the door open and spits out an army, theoretically the Solar Circle could just jump in in their mouth and go back. Yeah, so like, the, like in theory, that is a two-way door somehow. The second scenario in the, the Exalted, the Autothonians, has the Seal of Apey Domain has been broken in Autothonia invading creation, uh, and then everyone in Autothonia gets the Great Contagion because everyone in creation is immune to it, and then people just start dying by droves in Autothonia. That's extremely stupid. <laughs> I, I think I mean, it was a commentary on, like, smallpox or something. In, I mean, in... like, in so that's one of those things that's weird and realistic in that, like, yeah, that's actually how, if you could time travel, that's actually how it would work. You would either infect everyone with a modern version of a disease or you would come home with something you're not immune to or whatever, right? Like, if you were exposed suddenly to people who had been isolated, yes, you would, in fact, infect them. But the fact that it was the Great Contagion and not, like, some modern disease Electrogonorrhea, is... the noisy killer. <laughs> It is yeah. <laughs> uh, the kind of second edition wank that people rightfully make fun of. So are there any stories that anyone would like to run related to Autochthonia? Like I said, Autochthonia is kind of unique in that it's, it's, a, it's a setting unto itself. Problem with alchemicals uh, throughout all the editions has been largely the same as the problem with the Fair Folk. And that's that if you're off with the Fair Folk playing reindeer games, you're not actually playing in creation where all the rest of the setting is. 
And if you're in Autothonia, you're playing Alchemicals, uh, but you're not playing Creation where all of the rest of the setting is. So a lot of Alchemical stories revolved around either finding a way to deal with Autothon's encroaching sickness, because that was what everyone's talking about, uh, no one's talking about anything else, or raiding Creation, like, like breaking there, and the after effects of that. And those are both interesting stories, but there's probably other ones you can tell. The, the one that I kind of sprang to mind while we were going through this, uh, because Alchemicals is one of the exalt types that I've never run, um, was that it, it would be cool to do a, a turn the Locust Crusade on its head kind of story, where instead of going out and raiding and stealing stuff, like the cities have come to the nations have come together and are sending an expedition to like seek help from the exalted host from the ancient ancient stories and so they have stories that are 2000 years out of date about creation and they're going to go get help from the exalted host and then explore creation and like try to get the team of exalted together that they need to go solve the problem uh, and i think it'd be a cool way to introduce players who are new to Exalted to Creation, because they wouldn't have to know anything about Creation. Um, and it'd be a neat way to bring Alchemicals into the broader broader setting without needing to make it cataclysmic. We're 34 episodes in. Is my answer allowed to be no? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you do not want to run a game involving Autochthon? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, unless, okay, so here, let me, let me preface this. Here are my 11 conditions. This is where turned into a hostage negotiation for a setting. <laughs> Correct the lore, or <laughs> I made a gun motion. Yes. I like gun cocking motion yeah. for the people at home. The second edition version, as I just said, was full of the sort of tui wank that we rightfully make fun of. Um, which, thankfully, we will have an opportunity to redo. Uh, and I really hope that we make Autochthonia not dull as fuck. <laughs> like, I kind of think that the whole um, weir five weird different elements is cool. Uh, and I think the sort of void um, mutation thing is cool. And everything else is so beat you over the head oppressive. It's boring. I, uh, Warhammer 40k parentheses derogative. It's the, I don't like... Uh, setting that's just doom and gloom all the time and the only solution like you have two solutions you stay in autochthonia and you work and you fuck and you pray or you leave uh, and you try to find people who are murdering you also the whole twist that autochthon is eating everybody's souls is boring that whole thing is boring so if we do something a little bit more interesting like make autochthonia a place you want to be in even it can still be an, an industrial horrorscape that's actually kind of cool but, like, it can't be so bad that nobody can live there. Otherwise, it's not an interesting place to play because you're you're presenting players with the choice of escape or suffer. And that's dull. It doesn't make a, for a good campaign. The idea of having to cure a primordial is actually really fucking interesting for, like, a big-scale campaign. And also, as Chaz and Neil rightfully identified, if you were playing in Autochthonia up the great maker's butthole you uh, are not playing in creation which is literally where the rest of the setting is and it doesn't even have that sort of malpheus or yushan thing where like you report back to the people who are in charge of you and they tell you weird cryptic things then you go back out and do them it is not like home base you check back in and in fact if you are a person who's from there you may not ever want to go back there are a lot of really cool options that were kind of flirted with at the end of uh, second edition and uh, Compass Autothonia. And, and they all kind of remind me of that little bit in the Manual Abyssals where it's like, 
hey, could one of these Death Lords have been a lunar? Everyone thinks that she might have been. And the very next like paragraph is like, no, nah, she definitely wasn't. She definitely wasn't. <laughs> and I was like, why would you even say that then? Why would you even dangle that possibility, that cool possibility in front of our eyes and snatch it away? Right. So Autothon is dying. Uh, and when primordials die, they become never born. So there's like a, 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 a conceptual chunk of Autothon called en- the engine of extinction that is his never born self that is slowly being not born. A lot of conceptual hints, a possibility that Autothon's like decayed lower self is coterminous with the labyrinth where all of the Neverborn come down to rest. And that's cool. That means you can have abyssal Autothonian crossovers and you could possibly, if you want to run into the decayed guts of Autothon, pop up into the underworld, which is its own kind of different kind of crappy hellscape. There was another thing where the Viator of Null Space was exploring the concept of Null Space, which is never heard of before in Exalted and never seen again in Exalted. The Ebon Dragon is there because he figured out like a little way to peek out of the crack of Malpheus in there. And they they have a fight and Viator wins, which is weird. But, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm like, oh, so there's like a gateway into Malpheus? And they're like, nah, nah, fam. Like Ebon Dragon can't get out. It's, it's totally sealed now impossible to get through and i'm like why even tell that story (laughs) yeah i i would hope that third edition will take the really interesting things that were dropped in second edition like could one of the death lords have been a lunar and then leave that a question mark or like does null space touch malpheus can you can you clipping air into malpheus through here uh or like can you slip into the underworld through the necrotized part of Autochthon. Both of those things are extremely interesting, especially on a cosmic scale. Uh, and so then taking those hints, it all that would make me want to run like a high essence, like end game type thing where like, no, we're all starting at essence five and everybody has to, to puzzle out the cosmic mystery, right? Like what happens when Autochthon dies? What do we do with all the people in there? Can we put the souls back in creation? If, if like, his decaying lower soul is attached to the labyrinth, could we possibly funnel a chute up there and let him have a cycle of reincarnation? Like, there's a whole kind... There's all kinds of interesting super metacosmic questions that if you treat both of those things as being potentially true, uh, become extremely interesting. So if he connects to the underworld and he connects to Malpheus, where does he connect to Yushan? Right? Like... Did he seal himself in a place where he technically is a little bit attached to everywhere? Except creation. Except creation, right. He's perfectly sealed from creation. That's the one place he could could shut the door on completely, but not everywhere else. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, I think that's really really cool. cool. It allows infernals, it allows abyssals, and allows sidereals to engage in plots in their own styles of play that eventually bring them to Autothonia. Right. I forgot one, Zenmu. Oh yeah, it's Enmu. Yeah, <laughs> we got some yeah. we got some Gatimians up in here. What if there's a pathway to Zenmu, maybe also through the Null Space? What if Null Space is basically a wormhole that can go anywhere? The, you know, there's the like potential concept that the Primordials threw out a bunch of proto creations before they finished this one, which may may have just been fanon, but is kind of a fun idea. Uh, but I mostly saw that rolled out for like Isekai 
World of Darkness exotic crossovers, which can be pretty wanky, but I do like the idea that, like, there might be a discarded creation somewhere, not important to the most of the game, but hey, if we're playing with Null Space is the wormhole, what happens when you find them, and who's there? And then you get, like, weird and high concept. So, I went from no to yes, but... (laughs) I just want to play a game in Autochthonia of the Quiet Year. Oh yeah! I mean, I mean that would be a really cool Quiet Year hack to be. Because I have no idea how the fuck to play that game. Anyway, well, but like, but that fits the Quiet Year super perfectly because you could start with like we are a bunch of people. Maybe one of them is a named alchemical, and we are trying to build this community because you build a community, you draw a map, and you have a certain amount of time before the shepherds of winter arrive and something bad happens, right? Mm-hmm. So you you could you just re-flavor the shepherds of winter into the encroachment of the void and the contagion of that sickness and play it as normal just with exalted flavor. And with that, Neil, thank you so much for joining us and just being like, uh, just thank you for having me. <laughs> pulling on the cord marked knowledge of Autochthonia and the fire hose just hitting us. If people are interested in what you're up to, uh, do you still actively develop or write about games anywhere? Nope, I am happily retiring or in the process of retiring right now. I have decided to move on from role playing games and do other things. I will still do some writing on role-playing books over the years, and I may come back to it. Who knows? Uh, but, yeah, that's that's sort of the plan right now. Okay. Do you have an online presence that you would like people to find? I do, actually. Everyone should follow me. I am at BurntNeal on Twitter. Uh, B-U-R-N-T-N-E-A-L-L. It's a whole play on words on the saga Burnt Neal, which we're, I'm not going to get into. Monica, if we're interested in following what you're up to, where can we do that? Yeah, if you want to hear me talk to my lively but disastrous companion uh, about all things game design in an informative but humorous way, you can listen to Bonus Experience, which you can find at bxpcast.com or at bonus bonus expcast on Twitter. And if you just want to follow me, I'm at Sun. And Chaz, as the only one here who actually produces other content that is audio that involves Exalted directly, where can we find out about that? You can find me on Twitter as at StoryToldChaz, where I will tweet about the final episodes of the fall of Giara, uh, which are going to be coming over the next couple months as I get them edited and out there. The fall of Giara has been a joy to run uh, alongside this podcast, um, and that is also coming to a close soon. So, And Terry, where can people find you? So Exalted has a place called Autochthonia. And since there's absolutely no tie to the world of darkness in Exalted anymore, you can come learn about Autochthonia, which is a machine realm full of a weird god at magethepodcast.com. And we actually did an episode on Autochthonia, and it was a lot of fun. We stealed a whole bunch of stuff from Exalted, and we're like, this is super cool, but mages would die instantaneously. And we'd be like, yeah. Magethepodcast.com or at Terry Robinson on Twitter. Thank you for listening to Systematic Understanding of Everything, an Exalted podcast. Go to exaltcast.com to subscribe, see our show notes, or listen to our past episodes. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and Anchor.fm. If you have a question, shoot us an email at questions at exaltcast.com. If you'd like to support our show, please consider using the affiliate links in our show notes to make purchases on DriveThruRPG and the Storyteller Vault.com. 
The opening theme is Return of the Solar Exalted, and the closing theme is the Sidereal Exalted Lesser But Safe from Fanfare for the Chosen by James Simple, and is used with permission. In the meantime, exalt strong. Chaz, you're such a fucking pro. One. I totally missed the whole singing part this time. That's fine. Modest music Gorski has that effect on people. I always thought it was just autothon. Am I... Have I been misled this entire time? Probably not. Greek is weird. I have been attempting to pronounce the second half of this word like chthonic, like the word that means from the earth. So I think think in Time of Tumult there actually was a pronunciation guide, and it's not how the word's actually pronounced. Yeah, because you pronounce the K, you pronounce it as a K in words like autochthonous. Um, so I just well, kind of transferred it over, the, ladies. The internet says C-T-H-O-N-I-C, as in, like, to be from the earth, is pronounced thonic. So, turns out, Neil yeah, is right. No, but that doesn't work, because <laughs> the N in, in damn is silent, but you pronounce the right. N in damnable. So I don't think no. there's an analog there. All I heard was Neil was right. Someone <laughs> called Daniel Lazon. <laughs> Wait, are we having a Neil versus Crunch Doc? Because I know who wins that fight. Neil does not win that fight. Neil does not win that fight. I'm sorry. You seem to be a delightful person otherwise. But, uh. oh, over, over related to the underworld, not the earth. My bad. Yeah. Chthonic. Yeah. That's where the, yeah. the origin you're, of the arena you're is. You're fired from Scion. Okay. Good, good luck filling in the stuff I was taking care of. <laughs> Nor- normally I quit. Please don't do right. that to Hiromi. So. Was there an undercurrent that he did that to try and impress Gaia? Because that also seemed to be a string that went through some of the previous books. But I don't know if that was just me reading between the lines and him being like the like the first cuck of creation. No, I wouldn't put it past several writers to have to have insinuated that. Okay, got it. Um, I mean, I can't imagine that. Pretty. Yeah. No, it's a it's a a vivid sight that I painted for you. God, Terry, be immersed. There's so, gold in them, they're primordial. Creation needs cooler constellations. Like, that's the one area where Exalted kind of phones it in. Like, they picked all the items off of, like, a children's eye test chart. Um, and yes, like, the things on a children's eye test chart. <coughs> a ewer, a banner, a haywain. It's a big shaft. Yeah, it's a big shaft. I was wondering so, how long before someone was going to make a big shaft joke. I do like the idea that's of suddenly nice. introducing into the canon that like Autochthony and Ahura Mazda are the same person. Just like, yeah. <laughs> didn't see that one coming, did you? Forget juicing a monkey, we're juicing rats. Yeah, the way you say that is like the way I said fun in that one, one episode. <laughs> <laughs> I designed the concept of her. I didn't do her actual character design. And I didn't actually specify what clothes she was wearing, so they just made her without clothes at all. So she has crystal for hair, and the rest of her body is hairless. Yeah. She has she has the cape you said she's wearing, and then nothing else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did give her a cape. I mean, the calibration gate goes around naked, and no one ever says anything about that, so... Well, calibration <laughs> gate does what it wants. What is it? Coolant, vitriol, vacuum, um, no, sneezy, dock? Oil, <laughs> grease, Frankincense. Rubber, myrrh. Yeah. <laughs> why, is, why is there just no list of these damn things? Earlier, when Neil's like, Autochthon brought three gifts, I'm like, to the infant Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Be a very okay. different New Testament. Very different. Uh, I was thinking right. a very different Exalted, but I like where Jazz is going. That's a church no, I can get behind. So you got that 
that that raspy hacking cough. Yeah, but it's not a productive cough. So no, it's, it's, just, a, it's just there's a really inappropriate COVID joke here. Yep, I was just thinking. <laughs> it. I was going to say kids don't start smoking, but well, that's, a, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, oh, that's how about, how about that would be terrible. Like, don't start smoking too. Yeah, what yeah. what destroyed the seventh nation of Audacton? They all took ivermectin. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we want to see in three E. Yeah, they took uh, they took rat tranquilizer. What? I, I was almost ready to visibly burst into flames. Apparently, oh, oh. the entire state of Vermont is unair-conditioned. <laughs> I mean, we, the seal of eight divinities is... Why did you ask that is... question, Terry? Because it's literally next in the sequence. Right. Oh, shit. I'm never going to retire, am I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep, the fans deserve crystal pubes. That's what we're taking away from the thing I just said. Monica, did we just solve <laughs> long-standing issues with the setting we exalted? Uh, maybe. I... Did we? <laughs> yeah, Don't worry, we did. We definitely post. did. Shut this um, podcast down. All right. Well, I mean, this is the second to last episode, so yeah. <laughs> Problems. I well, it's been a re- God bless we Chaz. Keeping we us can't be stopped, Chaz. <laughs> um, that was Chaz's very specific version of the Make a Wish Foundation. That, you just had there. that would be like if there was a book where it gave them feathers and introduced a weasel that had access to a cosmic doodad. I would be done. <laughs> Greatest game of all time. <laughs> Fourth edition. <laughs> you can be done. Uh, I don't know. You're the one implying that I am marrying someone with loose morals, which is. She's not completely naked. She's wearing a cape. Yeah, she's not completely naked. The the picture I'm looking at now has it like billowing behind her, so she's pretty much naked under there. Yeah, I mean, uh, Audachthonia is very dark from what you describe. Yeah, and so, we're all we're all naked under our clothes. So. Yeah, and there's probably a machine in the way, tastefully. Whenever. No, um, no, there's not. No, this is okay. second edition exalted. <laughs> no. uh, there's no second edition. Yeah, no. Oh. No, we are. Yeah. We are as close as pussy out as we could possibly be without actually doing it. Who you know what's the- weird? Her hair her hair is like crystal, but there's nothing down below that's also the crystal. You know what I mean? It doesn't match the drapes. Yeah. Thanks yeah. It just Monica. it just weirds me out. Comfortable asking. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys see that internet meme? This is totally off topic. Did you guys see that internet meme about the paleontologists who figured out what a T Rex would taste like? No. Yes. So it's so it's, you know it's it's a bunch of experts being asked questions about that, and I'll I'll cut to the chase. Someone asked a bunch of paleontologists what um, a T Rex would taste like. So a whole bunch of them at like the Smithsonian started researching culinary techniques and started re- researching like culinary science until they figured it out. And so it's kind of, um, okay. T Rexes are are have very little body fat, so there's no like marbling in their meat. Probably like eating uh, a hawk. Well, yeah, they're they're obligate carnivores, so. The meat's probably really bitter. It doesn't taste good. But also, T-Rexes in particular, for whatever reason, picked up a lot of heavy metals and stored them in their in their bones and their flesh from the stuff that they ate around there. And dinosaurs were just sort of immune to it. Um, but if you ate it, you'd get a lethal dose of cadmium. <laughs> so it would be a terrible taste of terrible tasting steak, super tough and super bitter. And then you would throw up your your organs and die. <laughs> so don't eat a t-rex yep <laughs> don't eat t-rexes kids yeah. and people say don't, that we don't have a valuable, a valuable moral don't to date robots yeah. <laughs> that oh, planet boy. was earth um. <laughs> here's what we learned in today's episode crystal pubes for everyone don't eat t-rexes yeah I think that's a summary of where we've gotten to a systematic understanding of everything. When people are like, why didn't you keep going? I'm just going to have that clip of Monica saying that. 
my motivation is to bang every cast member of the full Giara. That is every content episode done. 